The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columns for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Now, we're off to West Africa today with Mako Gold. Code is MKG, trading at about 6.3 cents for a market cap of 24 million. We have the founder and managing director with us today, Peter Ledwich, to give us a rundown on what the company's up to in Cote d'Ivoire in West Africa. Uh, big news recently with a maiden resource, so we've got lots to talk about. So with that, I'll say, g'day, Peter. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, uh, and uh, my pleasure to be here. Uh, Peter, I've just mentioned there the uh, in Cote d'Ivoire, the NAPI project. You've had a maiden resource estimate released on the 14th of June. So tell us a bit about that and the, the scale, the grade, and uh, where you see it as a foundation for perhaps in, increasing the resource to uh, even greater heights. Yeah, so as, as you mentioned, we recently put out that maiden resource and uh, I think it was uh, hotly anticipated. And uh, so it came out at 868,000 ounces at 1.2 grams per tonne, which uh, exceeded most people's expectations, including some of our uh, uh, large uh, shareholders. I just came, uh, in uh, Toronto, I just came back from uh, PDAC over there and, and they were all pleased with it. So uh, it's uh, it's just the first step in, in the growth of, uh, of the project and the company. You've put it together pretty quickly too. What time frame are we uh, talking about to arrive at this point? We listed in 2018 and then uh, we had a little bit, uh, you know, it took a while, you know, we did our maiden drilling. It took a while to figure out where the hot spots were because it's a large permit. It's 30 kilometers uh, long. And uh, so once we honed in on the first uh, the first prospect we honed in on was Chaga, and uh, we, you know, drilled that and and learned a lot from our drilling, changed our drilling direction, and so on. And then after that, uh, we uh, we focused on the Gogbala deposit, uh, which uh, added quite a few ounces, and and is actually uh, has the pathway to the greatest short term growth as well. So when you uh, look at that per prospective uh, uh, shear zone. The deposits that you've outlined to date in the maiden resource, they, uh, what sort of distance are we talking about between them? Well, they're between uh, Chag and Gogbala is about four and a half kilometers. And, and when you consider that the area between the south end of Gogbala and the north end of uh, Chaga, which includes that four and a half kilometers of uh, not drilled or, or very uh, sparsely drilled area, that's only... Uh, about eight kilometers, basically it's about, uh, the resource is about 13% of that 30 kilometer shear that we have. So that's why, you know, we're, we're quite convinced that we have a, a good growth pattern uh, uh, optionality on, on the project. And what sort of uh, depth is this uh, resource uh, estimate made to? Well, it's very shallow. Uh, so on uh, Gogbala, the uh, the maximum depth is 165 meters, uh, but the average depth is is about 150 meters. And on Chaga, uh, the maximum depth is 195 meters, with the average depth being about 170 meters. So when you take into account that 
you know, the recent uh, um, resources that came out of West Africa in the last couple of years average about 300 meters. Uh, that shows that, you know, we've got good growth uh, potential at depth as well as a, a long strike. As, has there been any deep holes today? Uh, we, we've done a few deep holes, uh, uh, particularly on, on uh, Chaga, where we've gone down uh, and identified mineral, definitely identified mineralization down to uh, 200 meters, you know, in the order. I can't remember the exact. Uh, people would have to look at some of our previous releases, but we had one intersect that was about 19 meters at five grams, something like that. So we do know that it goes down to that depth. Uh, so, you know, the way to grow in, in that area, Chaga, is that wasn't included in the resource because we didn't have enough. Uh, drill holes there so obviously you know get a few more drill holes uh, and then you can connect the dots and add that on on our next resource upgrade am i right so when i was looking at the map i, I saw uh, tieto's uh, 3.5 million ounce abujar uh, project which was they've built up very quickly that's on the same belt is that correct it is it's along the same fault in the same belt and uh and we, yeah we do compare ourselves to them uh and if you look you know they're you know three years ago they only had seven hundred thousand ounces and and now they're they're building a mine and and I'd like to add that in West Africa the the whole Beremian greenstone that is the only greenstone belt that does not have an operating mine on it so it's obvious that Tieto is going to beat us to it but uh, we hope that we follow uh, shortly behind. So how far away would uh, Tieto's? Uh, it's it's about uh, two hundred uh, kilometers south uh, on, on the belt, one hundred fifty to two hundred kilometers. And uh, but you know the the same principles are at work there, and, and uh, you know very similar uh, uh, tectonic setting uh, um, and mineralization process. I take it you guys are all friendly over there when you bump into each other at the pub or <laughs> at the airport. Uh, absolutely, as a matter of fact, uh, when I was uh, last in Côte d'Ivoire in uh, in uh, April, uh, I went out with uh, uh, Tieto's MD and, and we had a nice supper together. So yes, we, we are all very friendly with each other and and uh, share information as much as we can. Obviously, there's confidential information but that we're not going to share, but it's in everybody's benefit to help each other out because, uh, you know, what's good for one party is, is going to promote the other party. Now, we are talking West Africa. Um, it's uh, People think of it as uh, one region, but it's uh, many, many countries. I was just wondering, uh, what's the situation in uh, Côte d'Ivoire at the moment? Any uh, concerns or are things uh, reasonably settled? Yeah, and, and that's a very, uh, you know, it's a, you're not the first one to ask the question. I've had uh, pretty well every presentation I do, people ask uh, the question because, you know, people have been following, you know, what's going on in countries like Mali, Burkina Faso uh, and uh, Guinea. You know where they've had uh, military coups, and you know, having said that, uh, there's been uh, no bloodshed, so it's uh, you know that's good news. Uh, but we really don't think that those things are going to happen. I mean, for example, in Cote d'Ivoire, uh, as an example, uh, we used to have a project in in uh, in Burkina Faso that we sold uh, two years ago, or a little, a little bit less than two years ago. It kind of broke our heart to sell it because it was a good discovery, but um, there, there seems to be a jihadist insurgency there, which you know makes it unsafe for for small small juniors to operate in. You know the larger mining companies, uh, you know they don't have any problem because they can afford good security. Uh, 
uh, by and large. But we don't think that's going to, you know, that insurgency is going to happen in Côte d'Ivoire for two reasons. Is is one, Côte d'Ivoire is, uh, other than Ghana, which is next door to Côte d'Ivoire to the east, it's, it's the, the wealthiest of all the West African countries. And and so they can afford good military, good police force, etc. And And the other reason is that geography doesn't lend itself to that, where... Uh, it, the vegetation's thicker. There's a lot of agriculture. Uh, a lot of the uh, uh, jihadist terrorist hits that happen, for example, in Burkina Faso, mm. happen where you can pretty well drive a Land Cruiser anywhere. Yeah. And uh, so that's not, you know, we we for, for those reasons we we feel quite secure in in Cote d'Ivoire. As a matter of fact, when I go there. Uh, I, I walk around freely in in the in the, the city where we operate uh, from, and have f- absolutely no risk to my uh, personally. Mm. Oh, good to hear. Okay, now you're at the eight hundred and sixty-eight thousand ounce level. What do you see as the uh, the, the target to have? to perhaps start thinking about a development? Well, uh, our next milestone, uh, uh, before the resource came out, I, I was being conservative when I'd, I'd speak about the resource and I'd say, look, we, we're going to get a resource somewhere north of 500,000 ounces and then we think that we can be at a million ounces uh, by Christmas of this year. Uh, but the resource came in higher than uh, any of us thought. And... Uh, so our next milestone really is a one and a half million ounces, and we 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 believe that we can get that done within a year or less. And at that point in time, you know, while we're doing all that work, you know, we'll be doing some uh, some uh, metallurgical work. We've already done some preliminary metallurgy, but obviously, you want to do some more. And and then once we have a million and a half ounces on the ground, that's where we feel that, you know, we can move into a scoping study and then feasibility while we're still adding more ounces. West African uh, gold producers listed on the ASX have uh, been amongst the strongest performers of uh, any class of securities. Um, I'm just wondering, when I look at your market cap and you've now got that maiden resource, you seem to have a very low uh, enterprise value per ounce. Is there any particular reason for that? Do you think? I, I, that I'm asking myself the same question, <laughs> and where you know the average uh, uh, ounce, you know per per uh, you know valuation for EV sort of thing in in West Africa is somewhere between seventy and eighty five dollars, uh, and we're sitting at you know thirty five or, or less. Um, so I, you know, I've seen it happen in other companies. Previously, I worked with Orbis Gold, that you know was a very successful company. Um, you look at uh, West Africa Resources, which is a one of the, uh, I think it's the the, the uh, best producer on the ASX, best gold producer on the ASX. Uh, Tieto, you know, those companies they were all horribly undervalued for so long, and then all of a sudden. Uh, uh, the penny dropped and investors started realizing, hey, you know, this is like your next growth story. And uh, so that's what we hope is going to happen in the not too distant future with Mako. You mentioned you uh, attended PDAC uh, in Canada recently. The, they tend to be uh, more switched on to the West African uh, story than the Australian market. Uh, is that still the case? Are they showing interest in the sector? Yeah, they are. Uh, and, uh, you know, just uh, shortly, be, for example, one of the companies that we uh, compare ourselves to is uh, Roscan, that's TSX listed, and, and we know those guys fairly well. 
and uh, they announced their resource, uh, basically same grades, ours, 1.2 grams per ton. They had a few more ounces. Uh, They were at 1.2 million ounces. So they announced their resource uh, just a few days before we did. And uh, and the market, uh, they're they're sitting right now. They're sitting in the about twenty five cent range. And and uh, even though they came out, their resources are getting hammered by these uh, by these horrible markets as well. Um, so I, I think <laughs> I think it's a bit of a bloodbath both on the ASX and on the TSX right now. But uh, you know, I, I think the good investors will will see that as uh, an opportunity to. Uh, to do some bargain basement shopping, I would say. As Warren Buffett might say, there's good news and all that because things are cheaper than they were. So, and uh, when, particularly when you've got a building story like you guys have got. And I was just wondering if you could fill us in on what's uh, happening on the ground now in terms of uh, drilling programs or planned drilling programs. What should we be looking out for? Yeah, well, right now our guys and gals uh, are, are doing uh, geological mapping, on uh, not just on the Napier project, but also on, on our uh, Tier 2 project, which is very early stage of the Kohogo project. Uh, because uh, we've gone into the wet season over there, and and if, by all accounts, it's a very wet season this year. Uh, we've been lucky the last two years where we managed to forge through, having only stopped drilling for about a week, uh, sorry, a month or a month and a half. And uh, so right now the drills aren't turning. Uh, we're still expecting some more results from uh, uh, from uh, some drilling that we did on, on another prospect on Napier and as well as a bit of drilling that we did on the Kohogo project. Uh, but basically our, our team is on the ground uh, getting ready for the next phase of drilling. And, and the best way to do that is to go out there and, uh, you know, boots on the ground, banging some rocks, take some rock chip samples. And, and, and uh, between that and all, you know, the uh, other tools that we have at our disposal, uh, then we can come up with some, uh, some more good um, drill targets uh, following the wet season. When does the wet season generally come to an end? Um, usually it ends uh, in, uh, you know, late September, early October, that kind of thing. But it's it's so hard to predict. I mean, right now it's raining really hard. Does that mean that, you know, within a few weeks it won't be? And uh, and one of the things that we're also very cognizant of is, is the locals have crops in the ground. So even though, you know, we compensate them when uh, we drill and, and we have a very small footprint when we drill, uh, we prefer to let them uh, pick their crops. So uh, you know, that's one of the consideration, but they don't have crops everywhere on, on the project. So uh, we're kind of opportunistic. So we go drill in areas where there's no crops. and uh, But we really want to be on side with the community, which is obviously very important. And that really is no different to, uh, you know, the wheat fields of uh, WA or the Victorian gold fields where uh, the industry um, engages with the farmers, lets them crop. And come back at a time that suits everyone. So it's all about good community relations, isn't it? It is, and and you know I've always believed in that. And even before ESG became the word of the minute, <laughs> and uh, you know you're in somebody's backyard, uh, the, you know you've got to be respectful, and there's got to be something in it for them. You got to you got to help out the community in whichever way you can. Now we uh, you touched on uh, the state of the markets at the moment, but uh, that will pass at some stage. But Key to uh, success for a junior explorer at this stage, I would imagine, is uh, having cash in the bank. So how are you guys positioned? 
Well, we're actually doing quite well. So we expect to finish this quarter with anywhere from three to four million dollars in, in in the bank. And uh, so that puts us in, in in a good position to to ride out these markets, especially when you consider, you know, the work we're doing right now, uh, um, you know, on the ground, uh, 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 geological mapping, rock chip sampling, you know, that's not expensive stuff. Uh, but so so it, it it lets us ride out. Hopefully, you know, uh, the markets will pick up a little bit. But regardless, we'll get back to work uh, uh, as soon as we can. And, and we're financed to do that. Yeah, it's funny how the markets work, uh, even in the darkest hours. If someone's on to a good discovery or there's a promise of a good discovery, uh, the funding is there, uh, albeit at uh, prices companies would uh, rather not see. But it tends to be result-driven. Um, the funding capacity capability. So, all right. Now you mentioned Cohogo, a um, early stage project, but it is uh, in the same neck of the woods, I believe, as Barracks, uh, five million ounce uh, Tongan. That, that's right. So um, the the permits got uh, granted in uh, late twenty twenty and uh, and then twenty one. And uh, and uh, so we got to work straight away on, on those as soon as they got granted. So uh, we did uh, the airborne geophysics, uh, which includes mag and radiometrics, which helps us, uh, you know, identify uh, structures that are obviously very important, as well as uh, a little bit of geology. Uh, we did uh, the 400 meter by 100 meter soil sampling. And then this year we followed that up with some auger drilling in select areas. And so the auger drilling picked up some, uh, some, and we didn't do auger drilling over the entire permit, obviously, but the areas where we did do it, it picked up some large anomalies that are uh, basically the same footprint as Barrick's uh, 5 million ounce uh, Tongan mine. So, um, you know, it, it, it's very encouraging. So we started a drill program there, uh, and it was a 2,000-meter drill program. And we actually uh, uh, cut off the drill program before about halfway through. And the main reason for that was uh, we, um, uh, we, we, in our geological mapping back on, on the NAPI permit, we identified a, a nine-kilometer artisanal site, and uh, so we wanted to go and drill that. And those are the results that, that we should be uh, putting out in, in a not too distant future. Uh, so the Go project is an early stage project, obviously. It's, uh, it's not as high priority as our NAPIA project, but we're advancing it. And uh, so we're, we're also going to be doing uh, some uh, geological mapping there in, in preparation for some, some more drilling on that as well after, sometime after the wet season. Just interested in the strategy of adding that as a second project. Um, are busy enough up at Nappy, or you you just uh, taking the opportunity because it, the prospective ground there is uh, much easier to pick up than say the back blocks of WA. Well, you know, we we see the the pipeline of uh, you know as a company you. It's nice, you, you know. You have your flagship project, but you want to add some pro- some other projects in, into your pipeline for uh, you know future growth. And uh, and incidentally, I'm always looking at other projects as well, keeping in mind that you have to finance those as well. And so everybody's excited about Napier, and because it's you know obviously the one that's uh, likely going to be the company maker for us. But yeah, so. 
uh, we're focused in making sure that you know we advance the Cohogo project, but but with limited funds because really the the Napier project is because we've got four prospects uh, known prospects already on the Napier project. Uh, so there's Chagangog Bala where we have our resource, which itself has a lot of growth. Uh, um, and then there's the other two prospects. It's almost like four different projects on on one permit. Um, so yes, we are funneling, you know, most of the money onto Napier. But but we're keeping in mind that as a company grows, you know, you need to you know expand a little bit. So we're doing it commensurate with the the money that we have. So there we go, folks. Uh, interesting story there. West African gold explorer make her gold. And as I mentioned at the start, if uh, you call up who's the best performed gold stocks in recent times on the ASX. You'll find names like Perseus and West African Gold, Tieto. So seems to be the place to be to find and quickly add ounces. And that's what Mako intends doing. I'm going to quote Peter here. He said 1.5 million ounces within a year or less. A growth story, an emerging growth story, that's for sure. So with that, Peter, thanks for your time today. And for the rundown on the company, much appreciated and best of luck with it all. Yeah, thank you, Barry, and uh, appreciate the opportunity. Cheers.